Jesus, today we want to thank you for setting us free. We want to thank you for breaking every chain on our lives. We want to thank you for destroying the heavy yoke that once crippled our lives. We want to thank you for opening the prison doors. We're no longer captive. We're no longer prisoners. We thank you. You've set us free. And as we've sung this morning, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And we are, that's right. Come on, give him praise. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are your chosen children. And we truly, truly do want to thank you for your kindness, for your grace, for this beautiful, wonderful gift of salvation that just keeps on unfolding every moment of every day. Your goodness, your kindness is incredible. And we thank you for it. Thank you for healing our bodies. Thank you for touching, changing, and transforming our minds. You're just doing an incredible work, Holy Spirit, in our lives. And for that, we are truly grateful. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, trust you've had a blessed week. God is so good. Jesus is with us all the time. And I tell you something now, every single day we should get up and give thanks for the day ahead because it's another new day to give him praise. It's another new day to enter into and rejoice over. Let's never grow tired of that. Let's never forget that every day, every moment offers a wonderful opportunity where we can just relish in God's love and God's favor over our lives. Well, today we're going to continue in our series of messages titled New Life in Christ. And last week, if you remember, we read from Titus chapter 2, where Paul in just four verses brilliantly encapsulates the gospel in his message to Titus. In Paul's short but powerful summary of the gospel, we picked up on four points about God's grace in relation to all of our lives from what he says to Titus. And we're going to look at those in a moment. But before we do, I want us to begin to read again from Titus chapter 2, where Paul speaks about God's powerful grace at work in our lives. Titus chapter 2, from verse 11 through to verse 15, says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
like no other writer, the Apostle Paul had this amazing ability to describe the glorious position that God's grace has given to each one of us in Christ Jesus. Yet, even though Paul had this amazing understanding regarding our spiritual position in Christ that grace has brought us into, he never lost sight of how God's grace empowers us practically in the here and now nitty-gritty moments of everyday life experience. Paul understands incredibly the position that we have spiritually in Christ, but also this apostle that's got his, his feet firmly planted on the ground understands how the power of this grace, God's grace, God's favor in our lives works practically every single day. Paul understood, as we all understand, just how difficult life can be. He knew that every day, each and every one of us are challenged by choices that we have to make. All of us are faced with very real trials, very real tests, very real temptations that want to lead us astray influences, strong currents that want to pull us out of God's will and out of God's favor and out of God's plan and purpose for our lives. Paul understood this and he saw how the enemy seeks to ravage and aggressively attack God's people. And yet in the midst of all of that, in the midst of understanding all of the pressures that we often face, Paul was confident that grace would assist us. Paul was confident that grace would be our help and our resource in amidst all of life's difficulties, in amidst all of the dark times, in amidst all of the ups and downs of life. Paul understood that we have God's favor on our side. We have God's grace with us and for us, helping us and aiding us and taking us on and through in life's way. Every single moment of every single day, grace is there to assist us. Grace is there with us to help us make those decisions that we need to make when we're at those critical junctures of life. Now, last week we picked up on four areas that Paul covers that are related to God's grace powerfully and practically at work in our lives in his message to Titus. Firstly, we said that Paul, in his message to Titus, in Titus chapter 2, shows us that God's grace rescues us saving us from sin. And we looked at that. We looked at the wonderful gift and the power of salvation that God brings through Christ's provision on the cross to us. We saw how God has saved us and how God has rescued us through his grace. And then secondly, from what Paul says to Titus in those four verses, 
where he so brilliantly encapsulates the gospel, he shows us that not only does God's grace rescue us, but he shows us that God's grace reforms us in that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And then thirdly, as Paul goes on, we see that he turns his attention onto the future. And we can see that he shows us that God's grace not only rescues us, God's grace not only reforms us, but God's grace rewards us in that it gives us eternal hope. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And one day the sky is going to split and everything, the veil between heaven and earth is going to be no more. And every eye will see and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, the King, who was crucified, who was buried in the ground and put in a tomb and rose from the dead, ascended on high, is Lord forevermore. He's coming back, church. This is our hope, and it's a blessed hope, and it's the reward of grace, Paul says. And then, fourthly and finally, Paul points out and assures us that God's grace redeems us, making us his very own. We are God's children. Isn't it wonderful how God's grace has completely provided for us in that grace rescues us? Grace is reforming us and reshaping our lives. Grace rewards us and grace redeems us. It's a complete provision. Our lives completely are wrapped up in the goodness and the kindness of God's glorious grace in Christ Jesus. Your past is covered. Your present is covered. And everything about your future is secured because of God's grace in Christ Jesus. It's wonderful. Now today and possibly into next week, we're going to concentrate on this second point of how God's grace reforms us as it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, ungodliness and worldly passions. Let me read to you again from verse 12, where Paul is showing us now the practical power of God's grace working in our everyday lives. When we're faced with those challenges, when we're faced with those choices, when we're all alone and that trial seems fiery and temptation can be all around, God's grace is there. We don't have to be afraid. We have to be aware of God's grace to assist us, to bring us on through. Verse 12, Paul says this, Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Paul here again is revealing something wonderful to us about the grace of God because now he's showing us the very grace that rescued us when it saved us is the grace that reforms us. The grace that comes alongside us and teaches us and guides us and instructs us to say no. Paul 
brings out this wonderful picture, this wonderful thought of grace being our teacher. Grace is our teacher. That's the picture that he wants to develop. That's the image that he wants to settle in our minds and in our hearts to give us peace, to give us security. So that when we go out into that world and we're faced with all of the influences and the choices and the challenges and the temptations that are there pulling on us this way and that way to misdirect us outside of God's plan for our lives, we will be confident to be able to rely on the favor of God with us to make the right decision, the right choice to come on through and continue on in God's way. Grace is our teacher. That's the picture that Paul is drawing. That's the image that he wants to leave in each one of our hearts and in each one of our minds. And if you think about that picture of teacher, that image of teacher for a moment, you begin to understand that it's the duty of a teacher through close observation and personal interaction to become aware of the needs and the weaknesses of the student, the pupil that's under its care. You know, we've got teachers in our congregation and they would be well aware and lecturers. They would be well aware of what the role of the teacher is. They quickly have to assess those who are under their care. Their different levels of abilities, their different areas of strengths and weaknesses so that they can address those very areas in order to make the student strong. The teacher's motivation is not to elevate the weakness of the student. The teacher's motivation is to strengthen, develop and grow the pupil. It really is. Any good teacher, that's the heart motivation. And I suppose the great joy that a teacher has is when a student catches it. A student understands maybe for the first time and their eyes open and their minds broaden and their understanding deepens. The joy of the teacher is to see the pupil understand and learn and grow and develop through conversation, through instruction, through guidance. The teacher takes the student or students and through their rich resource of wisdom, training and knowledge. They lay it at the disposal for each student to take and feed upon and address their areas of need. So when Paul highlights that grace is our teacher, he's saying grace knows everything about us. All of our weaknesses, all of our vulnerabilities, all of the areas that we struggle in, in relation to the challenges and the choices that we might face, in relation to the trials and the tests and the temptations that we all undergo. Grace knows it all. 
Grace knows your strengths, knows your areas of development, but also knows those gaping holes in all of our lives that needs addressing. But oh, what a teacher to have grace on your side, to have grace, God's grace, patiently assisting you, never giving up on you or me. This is the wonder that Paul shows us, not only of a grace that rescues us in saving us, but a grace that seeks to reform us gently, tenderly, lovingly as a teacher. Paul shows us, as does all of the Bible, a grace that never gives up on us. Do you realize that about God's grace? It never ever gives up on any of us. And we'll see that a little later. Our response to this wonderful teacher of God's grace is that we want to listen, don't we? We want to learn. And then we want to live out the instruction that it brings. We want to implement its guidance and take into life all of the goodness that it brings from its rich resource of God's favor and God's abundance for us. In John's epistle, talking about this grace, he says this, I think it's, in, it's either in his second epistle or the third, I'm not sure. But he says this, and I, it's often been a great resource and a blessing for my life that I've relied on and asked God's help in to understand it. John said this, he says, there is an anointing that abides within you, whereby you have no need that any man teach you concerning anything. For the anointing that's within you will teach you concerning all things. What is that? Grace. Grace is the anointing within you. Grace is the teaching whereby you have no need that any man teach you concerning anything. Because that anointing that's within you, when life comes at you, will stand up and teach you concerning all things about life. This is the teacher that Paul is talking about. God's grace, God's unmerited favor. We've got to listen. We've got to learn. And then we've got to live it out in the very real life situations and scenarios that we all face in any given week. But grace is there. You're not alone. I'm not alone. We're not alone. Grace is there, bringing us through, bringing us on, training us and teaching us to be everything that Christ Jesus has made us. Amen. Paul here in his words, to Titus in verse 12 shows us the subject matter that this great teacher grace holds in instructing us and it's a very simple subject matter according to Paul because Paul says this grace teaches us to say no that's the subject matter that grace takes and grace uses to help us, guide us, and lead us through life's road and life's challenges. He tells you and teaches you and guides you to say no when it matters most. 
when no is the right answer, grace will be there to teach you and train you and enable you to say it clearly and confidently. Now that, to some people, might sound very unimpressive. Very simplistic. You mean God's grace is not going to teach me any more than the response of no? Yeah, that's right. He's going to teach you to say no when it matters most. When it comes to worldly passions, when it comes to ungodliness, these are strong influences that want to pull on you, that want to pull on me, that want to make demands, that want to that want to drag you back into old ways of thinking and old ways of living. They're like giants that would try to stalk you and defeat you. And right in the face of ungodliness and in the face of any worldly passion, grace is there now to strengthen you through the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to it all. But some would want more. Surely grace can broaden my intellect. Surely grace can deepen my knowledge. Understanding is important. God wants us to see clearly. He wants us to grow in our knowledge and, and, and our understanding. But when it comes to these issues, grace wants to put a no in our mouth. Notice here that Paul doesn't say that grace is going to say no on your behalf. No, grace is going to put a no in your mouth with conviction and power behind it. He's going to enable you and empower you to say no at crucial moments in your life. No to that imagination. No to go into that place. No to being that old person that you once were. No to that suggestion. No, I will not consent to that. No. Crucial moments where you have to make a decision could be life-altering moments. The Holy Spirit, via the grace of God, is going to enable you to see clearly and to be able to say no. No. Firmly, clearly, and with Conviction. Why? Because grace wants to put you and I in control of our own choices again. Very often, our success depends on this one little word. No. No is not a middle-of-the-road, sit-on-the-fence answer. It's clear. It's a sentence that's complete all in itself. Two little letters joined together, giving us a little word, no, completes a sentence that sometimes people don't want to hear. And sometimes you'll lose friends over it. Sometimes the atmosphere in a room will change over it. And sometimes... Changes will occur as a result, as we may see next week, because of it. But God wants you to stand strong as a believer in these days, in these times. 
where things are difficult and dark and the pressure is increasing, God wants his people to be able to say no and to say it well. Just imagine for a moment if your immune system started to say yes to things that it should be saying no to. You wouldn't be able to survive for very long. Your health would deteriorate. God has built a no into the cellular structure of your body. There's a no inside you. It's a strong defense mechanism called your immune system that attacks any disease or any infection that's trying to come your way. There's a no inside of you designed by God to rise up, to ring an alarm so that your immune system, that invisible barrier, that invisible wall that comes up against you and any threatening disease to protect and preserve your life. There's a no inside of you. But if that no breaks down, and it begins to say yes to things that it should be saying no to. That's when complications set in. And our health begins to deteriorate. In the same respect, in the same respect, God wants there to be a strong no in our spiritual immune system for living life. God does not want us to say yes to things that we should be saying no to. Grace is there to instruct us. Grace is there to teach us. Grace is there to take us by the hand and educate us. When we fail, grace isn't going to leave us. When we say yes to things that we should say no to, grace is still going to be there as that patient, loving teacher, instructing us, helping us, reproving and correcting us so that next time the answer to the same maybe scenario that's testing us will be that strong confident no decision that we need to make to walk on through sometimes our immune system spiritually as people is weak it's weak but grace wants to teach us when you look at the bible you see Lots of people's spiritual immune system at times and seasons in their lives was very weak. And it's there for us to read about. It's there for us to look at so that we might be warned by their sin, by their mistakes, by their failure to believe God. It's there to help us, to teach us, to instruct us. If you think back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were taught by God's grace, taught by God's goodness. They knew that they were not to touch the tree or to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had instructed them well. God had furnished them well in relation to that one tree. They were allowed the whole access and liberty to all else in the garden. But there was one tree that they weren't allowed to touch. And that was because God had said it. They knew that. They understood that. 
where it started to go wrong was when they entertained another suggestion. They entertained another voice. Satan spoke through the serpent. Eve and Adam listened to it. And they basically said yes to something that they should have said no to. And as a result of that, they were banished from God's presence and they plunged the whole of humanity into sin, despair and death. All because they said yes to something that they should have said no to. They should have come out with a strong no, clearly with full conviction on the basis of what God had said. Can you see how important this little word is? Can you see how important it is for us to understand its use and to apply it into our lives and for us to heed the voice of grace that teaches us to say no. I wonder why Paul didn't say, and the grace of God teaches us to say yes. Well, it's easy to say yes. No, the grace of God has to teach us to say no. And then on from there, there's other people that we could look at in the Bible. Again, tragic circumstances, tragic life situations. Why? Because they said no. They said yes to issues that they should have said no to. Think about Abraham for a moment. Abraham was an incredible man of faith and undoubtedly chosen by God. But on one occasion, he said yes to something that he should have said no to. Sarah, Abraham's wife, proposed that he sleep with her maid because they didn't have a son. And Abraham and Sarah wanted an heir to inherit everything that God had given them. But God, listen, God had taught Abraham in the goodness of his grace. In Genesis chapter 15, about his covenant with him, God had promised Abraham a son, an heir from his own body that would make him the father the great father of many nations. God had spoken clearly. God's good grace had instructed and taught Abraham all about the future regarding his life. Abraham heard the word of God, knew the word of God clearly, but over time, over time, Sarah grew impatient and doubtful about God's word. And this isn't this isn't pointing out Sarah's failure. We're all in Sarah. Sarah in some way represents us all. When we struggle to believe God's word, when we become impatient. And she reasoned, perhaps, listen, perhaps I can obtain children through my maid. There's no perhaps in a covenant with God. There's no perhaps in the promises. Paul tells us on another occasion that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. There's a yes and an amen behind every promise in Christ. Not a perhaps. But now she reasons and she struggles. 
And I'm so glad that this is in the Word of God because we see ourselves there. I certainly do. Perhaps I can obtain children from my maid. God had promised them a child. There was no perhaps about the promise. But in spite of that, Abraham went ahead with Sarah's suggestion over what God had said. And immediately, complications set in. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 16. It recounts Sarah's conversation with her husband, Abraham. Genesis 16 verses 1 to 2 says this, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, See, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. We've all been there, not necessarily in the same situation that they were in, but in relation to areas of our lives. This is a very powerful illustration. We've known the will of God over areas of our lives. We've known something of his promise where God has spoken to us about things that he's going to do. But over time, as time elapses, we don't see the promise fulfilled. So we resort to plan B. We go a different route. We entertain another suggestion. And an Ishmael is born in our lives. And that is what happened. That is what happened in this situation. Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Ishmael is born. And as a result, listen, as a result of saying yes to something that he should have said no to, strife, pain, and relational conflict disturbs his family for 14 years. This is real stuff. This is real life situations that the Bible holds out to us for us to see. And at the end of the 14 years of pain, strife, and conflict, there's a painful separation where Hagar and Ishmael have to leave the home because it had grown so bad. Painful. You could turn to another character in the Bible. Samson. Samson. What an incredible deliverer. Raised up because Israel was being oppressed by the Philistines. Israel was being deeply humiliated by their enemy. And God in his grace raised up this powerful man, this deliverer to save his people. And God used him greatly to deliver and to defeat the Philistines. But Samson's downfall began when he started to say yes to things that he should have said no to. His life went from strength and victory to utter defeat and humiliation because he said yes 
to desires and choices that he knew he should have said no to. And at the end of his slow demise, the Philistines captured him, gouged out his eyes, and threw him in prison. And there in that prison, he pushed around a millstone like a humiliated animal, grinding corn day and night. Judges chapter 16, 21 says this, Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. All because Samson said yes to things that he knew he should say no to. Or think of King David. In 2 Samuel 11, you read 2 Samuel chapter 11. I tell you, I read it the other day and a cold shiver went down my body. I mean, you talk about chaos. You talk about a chain of events coming on a man's life because he said yes to things he knew that he should say no to. One night, one afternoon, he was up innocently on the roof of his palace, looking over the city, and suddenly his eyes caught a beautiful woman who was bathing on her rooftop. And this wasn't premeditated by David. It was accidental. It wasn't intentional at that moment. But as he entertained thoughts in his mind and said yes to thoughts and choices that he knew that he should say no to. Knowing that Bathsheba was married, he broke through all of the moral barriers that were in place. And he brought her to his palace and committed adultery with her. These are the facts that the Word of God show us into Samuel chapter 11, he said yes to desires within him that he should have said no to. And as a result of saying yes to those desires and committing adultery with Bathsheba, terrible consequences came upon his life, upon his family, and upon his kingdom for years. David, this incredible king, this incredible musician, this incredible leader, as a result of his sin, brought about a chain of events that he could not stop until they had fully been vented. Now looking at those individuals in the Word of God, as we look at them today, without the grace of God, listen, without the grace of God, they would all be at a hopeless end. Adam and Eve hopelessly now banished from the garden. You come to Abraham. He complicated the promise that God had for him to inherit a son through the union of him and Sarah. And he'd gone to another, Hagar. And now suddenly the, the, the promise of God would seem compromised. You look at Samson. This deliverer that God so favored that brought great victory into the camp of Israel, 
And outside of God's grace, it would seem as if his life was going to end in a prison and he was going to be utterly defeated. And certainly when you look at David and all of the succeeding events that happened and circumstances that came as a result of his sin, you would think, my goodness, there's no hope. But the grace of God is a teacher that never leaves us. The grace of God never abandons us. And Paul shows us this in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Paul says this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Grace superabounded in those situations of life as grace has superabounded in each one of our lives. Because for Adam and Eve's shame and sin, and at the worst moment of the beginning of human history, God comes into the crisis with a promise. And he promises a redeemer to come through the seed of the woman. And that redeemer was Jesus and he crushed the head of Satan. What is that grace abounding? Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. That's what the Greek picture shows us. Grace superabounds over all of our sin. You look at Abraham and even though there was strife and division and conflict in his home for 14 years. God came through with his promise. God fulfilled his covenant to Abraham. Even when Abraham had gone outside of the covenant. Promise that he had with God. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. What happened? When Abraham was 100 years of age and Sarah was 99. Isaac was born. What does Isaac mean? Laughter. Joy was restored to the home. Peace. No strife now. Peace. As they saw laughter growing up and as they heard it as a fresh expression in their family life. What's that? Grace abounding. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds and overcomes the consequences of our sin. Samson, what happened to him? Well, his hair started to grow. The sign of God's grace, the sign of God's pleasure. And yes, he had sinned and yes, he had forsaken God, but God had not forsaken him. When we are faithless, God is faithful. This is grace. This is what God does in his mercy. His hair grew and the Bible says... In the latter of his life, in the final moment of his life, when the Philistines had him as sport, he cried to the Lord and grace heard him and he slew more in his death, more Philistines in his death than in his life. Grace will give you a million and one chances. When we come to God with a repentant heart, And for David, God lifted him with his grace. He confronted his sin like God confronts our sin. 
But as a tender father, grace took him. Grace taught him. Grace led him. Grace was the teacher and the guide through all of the mire and the pit and the darkness of his sin. And as a result, from the union of David and Bathsheba, a son was born, a future king called Solomon. Do you know what Solomon's name means? Peace, rest. Rest and peace was again born in the kingdom. Why? God's grace, it superabounds. It's, it's more than adequate to cover every need that we have and every consequence that sin brings our way. Grace, God's grace, is more than able to cover it all. It really is. S uh, Solomon was born. Ultimately, he would become the king of Israel, renowned to be the wisest man that ever lived. And what about David? Well, the New Testament tells us about David. I believe it's in the Acts of the Apostles where it remembers him. Not as the king who failed, not as the king who was tempted and succumbed to his temptation. No, the Bible remembers David as the man after God's own heart who chose to serve the purpose of God in his generation. That's grace. That's God's goodness. And let me tell you, there go all of us, but by the grace of God, we're all sinners saved by grace, found dead in our sin, raised to life and seated in Christ Jesus, what amazing grace it is. It really is. Grace never gives up on us. Grace is our teacher. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in just a moment. David said this in Psalm 130, speaking about the love, mercy, and forgiveness of God. Listen to the testimony from his heart because it's the testimony of all of us I believe Psalm 130 verse 3 and verse 4 David says this as he reflects over his life remembers all of the collected experiences that he had gone through as a person now as an aged king he says this maybe in the closing years of his life if you Lord should mark or remember my iniquities. Oh Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. Lord, another translation puts it, if you marked my transgressions, I'd never be able to stand in your presence, but there's forgiveness with you. What was David doing here? He was acknowledging that there are so many times in all of our lives where we say yes to things that we should say no to. But God in his mercy, God in his grace, God as teacher doesn't hold or mark down the days, the times and the places where we said yes to things that we should have said no to. No, there's forgiveness with God enabling us to stand confidently before 
his presence. Every sin is covered by grace. Every disobedient act, every moment where we've strayed in mind, in our thinking, in what we've said, in our attitude, or in our actions, is covered by God's mercy, forgiveness, and grace. And now, now, the teacher is alongside us, walking with us through all of life's challenges. Listen. As you leave this place today, there's going to be so many situations and challenges that are going to pull on you in this next week. When you're out there in life and it feels alone, you feel alone. And thoughts come into your mind and imaginations and actions and situations that other people want you to consent to. Grace is going to wisely teach you. Grace is going to wisely speak to you. And you're going to be able to say no with confidence, firm conviction. Not to be rude. Not to be obnoxious. But because everything that God has provided in Christ is a yes. And when we say no to any alternative, we're saying yes to everything that God has provided for our lives in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray right now for us. And then if there's anybody that wants to ask Jesus into their heart this morning, you've never asked Jesus to save you from your sin. And you're empty and you're lonely. And you don't know where you're going in life. And certainly you don't know where you're going beyond this life. Jesus wants to give you peace. He wants to give you rest. He wants you to know his saving grace that covers your past, that assists you and helps you in your present and gives you a beautiful hope beyond this life into eternity so that you will fellowship forever in God's presence with him. I'm going to pray in a moment, but let me pray firstly for God's people. You may be watching online this morning. I'm going to pray for you. Thank God for this grace that's in our lives to teach us and help us and guide us. Father, I thank you for your people today. Lord, I thank you. We are bought with your blood. Thank you for your forgiveness in our lives. Thank you for washing us. Your word tells us that you've washed us in your blood. We are clean. We are pure. We can stand before you with boldness because... We are perfect in your sight. Sometimes we don't feel perfect. Sometimes in this life, we struggle and drag our heels because we feel far from what you declared us to be. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be our teacher. Your grace would come alongside. And when we need to make that clear decision to say no, you would empower us and help us to be strong in the moment. Lord, you'd guard us against every temptation, we pray. You'd show us that way of escape. You'd help us in any fiery trial. And when there's challenges and choices that come our way that we're unsure of, we thank you that grace will assist us. 
and teach us and the rich resource of your favor will be our portion we thank you for it and i pray it over all of your people whether in this building physically or at home watching online we ask it in the wonderful mighty name of jesus for your glory amen now if you're here today you want to ask jesus into your heart this is a wonderful moment for you because the bible says this call call on the lord and you shall be saved it doesn't say work clean your act up promise to be a better person no you don't have to make any promise god makes all of the promises call on the name of the lord that's all you have to do and you shall be saved and the power of god will come into your life and enable you to begin to live this life that god has called you to live and it's the most glorious the most joyous experience that any human being can have it's not easy sometimes life is harder but that's what makes it more thrilling because you get a victory in god as you triumph in his name through all of the difficulties of life i'm going to pray right now and i'm going to help you to call to call that's all on the name of the lord and a miracle is going to take place in your life let's close our eyes if you're at home say this with true heart faith believing that the lord is listening and a miracle will begin say this now after me jesus i call on your name i ask you to save me amen thank you for forgiving me my sin for dying on the cross i believe it you rose from the dead i believe that too and now you're alive inside my heart thank you thank you amen listen if you prayed that prayer very simple very simple God has responded to that prayer because you cried and called on his name and he promised, he promises to come through in giving you and granting you salvation. It's happened for so many of us in this room. We would love, if you're here this morning in this hall, we would love to give you a Bible, maybe your first Bible. It's a New Testament. We'd love to gift you that as a congregation, as a family. And also we've got a magazine, a little magazine that's been written from members of our congregation who have prayed and seen God do miracles in their life, just like he's done in your life this morning. We'd love to give you that this morning and bless you with that too. If you're at home and you prayed that prayer, you can't at this moment come to church, we'd love to send you a Bible give you one of those little magazines gift it to you we'll send it to you free of charge it's our it's our joy as a congregation to do that we've committed together to do that as a church family drop us an email and um, just with your address and your name and we will send that out to you this week what a pleasure you know lots of people are are receiving 
Bibles, receiving these magazines on a weekly basis. And it's a joy just to give the Word of God, straight as it is, into people's hands and into people's homes. It's wonderful. It really is. Listen, as God's people now, let's go out into our world and share this wonderful news, the goodness of God's grace in Christ Jesus, the wonderful message that we hold in our heart about his love, his acceptance, and the grace that never lets us go. Amen. Let's stand to our feet before we go this morning. We're going to sing just one more song, and then we're going to be on our way. But God bless you this week. Have a great week ahead. God bless. God bless.